smell that, no? <laughs> uh, smell what? You don't smell that? No. This movie reeks of desperation. <laughs> um, and to make money, uh, to salvage careers, to That's what it is, yeah. JCVD yeah. trying to squeeze out another hit. Dennis Rodman trying to squeeze everything he can out of his 15 minutes of fame. That's that's what this movie is, man. <laughs> kind of makes me sad. Uh, like it's kind of made me sad in a way. That's fair. I I <laughs> I was trying to figure out whether uh, Rodman was in this because he was really popular at the time, and they were trying to sort of cash in on that fame, or whether he thought he had a chance at acting. Uh, it's probably both. I mean, this was kind of his peak, like, in terms of, I guess, you know what they call Q rating, where, like, people know, like, recognize a celebrity. This was kind of his peak. Like, he had just won those championships with the Bulls. He'd gotten, like, married to Carmen Electra, but also, like, himself. He married himself. Uh he put a wedding dress on and like did that somewhere. And Madonna was in here at some point too, like around probably. That time. Yeah, I think that was before, but he he had ties to her. It was a, a big celebrity moment for him. Uh, but his basketball career is kind of going off the rails, and so I think he was looking to make other moves. And uh, you know, if you can get that paycheck, then you get that paycheck. You get um, that paycheck. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper, <laughs> and I'm Nolan. And, uh, yeah, we are talking double team. <laughs> <laughs> the action. Uh, thriller starring my boy JCVD, right? Jean Claude Van Damme, yeah. and uh, as we already said, <laughs> Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Rodman. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah, he goes from this to heading to North Korea soon, right? And hanging out with the. <laughs> I think that happened a little bit later, but this might have laid the groundwork for that. Maybe Kim Jong Un is a huge double team fan. <laughs> Want to incur the wrath of Kim Jong Un? Yeah. Um, Mickey Rourke also stars in this one. He's. Like, surprisingly buff. Very beefy. I had forgotten how big he was until uh, we get closer to the end of this thing. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. Like I said, this whole thing kind of makes me sad, though. Uh, but what does not make me sad is the fact that we are fulfilling an audience request here. This movie was requested by Judy, who is the manager at McLean's Pub in Montreal. A great lady and a great establishment. <laughs> well, we've had some very late and very messy nights at McLean's Pub. Uh, I think one before our most drunken and uh, probably worst episode ever recorded. I don't know if it's our worst, but it was way back, our third episode ever back in season one. Swamp Thing was the movie, and uh, yeah, we were plastered, and it was very late, and we were kind of sluggish. It was not a good showing, but uh, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think we need to get another one, but thank you, Judy, for the request. It's always amazing yeah. to get <laughs> yeah, thanks, audience. Judy request yeah <laughs> this one uh i'm just happy to be doing it that's all i'm gonna say but uh we're i don't gonna... know it starts off pretty popping but before we get to that uh yeah. what are we drinking with it here well uh so this I'm, i have to say how pleased i am because as soon as this guy suggested i was like oh fuck i'm gonna drink a double ipa for this i just know it and i was not looking forward to that but luckily there's a brewery in ontario called double trouble brewing company and uh while we are still drinking an ipa today at least it is not a double IPA. Yeah, I love that you've done that. You've went out of your way to deny me the delicious uh, and strong alcohol of a double IPA. Um, but no, I'm excited for this too. Um, this brewery, Double Trouble, is out of Guelph, Ontario. I think they've been around for a while. I recognize at least the name of this beer. It's called Hops and Robbers, but they have many, many versions of it. So this is called the Crimes of Passion Fruit IPA. So, I like it. There's a lot of passion in this movie. Yeah, it is. A, well, I mean, anytime John claude Van Damme's in a movie, there's so much passion. <laughs> right? God damn it. So we know that. It says sassy, tart, passion fruit. And we know that Dennis Rodman's character is pretty sassy in this, too. And tart. <laughs> Excuse me. I am excited for this, though. Uh, so we're going to crack it open? Yeah, let's do it. 
So we fade in on what looks like a parking garage and a voiceover giving mission orders to Jean-Claude Van Damme, a.k.a. Jack Quinn. This, the voice says, is his final assignment. He needs to retrieve 32 kilograms of plutonium that was stolen from a military installation outside of Croatia by someone named Stavros. And we are right into the action as we've got JCVD smashing a truck through a wall and a bunch of other vehicles. There's explosions, gunshots, a guy who's on fire sliding off a motorcycle. Just an absurd amount of action for the first four minutes of this movie. Yeah, this starts off extremely hot. The machine that he drives out of this, uh, I don't even know what to describe it. It looks like some kind of military vehicle that can basically withstand anything. Like a transport truck, but like armored? Yeah, Yeah, a giant armored vehicle. And he blasts through a wall. He goes through all of these people in Jeeps and even one in a tank that is like pointing a tank gun at him. Now, that tank does manage to break off half of the machine that he's driving. But don't worry, he takes it down into a creek. Yeah, it just keeps going. So yeah. he, there's this like really long chase. I'm wondering if this really is filled with sort of like nuclear materials, how safe it is to be firing tank shells at it and having explosions everywhere. But, you know, whatever. Well, also, wouldn't they store it in the back of the truck, probably? The part that gets taken off by that tank? Yeah, it yeah. didn't seem like he was super successful in recovering this, to be honest. But uh, he does after crashing through a train. <laughs> it's, again, it's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of stuff happening. Uh, the dude on the motorcycle who's on fire fucking kill me because he slides off and he's sliding on the ground and he's on fire and the motorcycle's on fire they're both just sliding towards the camera i'm like god damn it's action city right now i wondered very quickly how much budget was spent on explosions in this movie oh uh, no you know what he's been more on broken glass <laughs> this is the roadhouse effect we talked about the tables but no there's more i think there's more broken glass in the movie than anything there's a ton Ooh. of explosions but there's also a fuck ton of broken glass there's also and it starts in here but uh they add more of it later and i found it really bothersome strange close-ups and slow-mos oh that yeah you're right there's that one part where it's very choppy these guys are like running toward but it's like it's like the frames are cutting out it's really weird yeah it didn't actually seem like it was edited very well because of that it was a, it was a strange moment and it kind of took away from it the actual experience Explosions and the gunshots and all of the glass breaking was kind of fun to start, but obviously over the top. We get very quickly the style of movie we're going to have here. Yeah, a strange moment is a great way to describe this movie. <laughs> Just a weird fucking time. <laughs> yeah, in a time. strange yeah. moment in time. And we make it, when was this made? I know you hate me asking you that question. 97. Oh, you looked it up already. Good. Yeah. Um, you knew it was coming. <laughs> Did a little research this um, time. Yeah, I guess this is what late 90s action looked like. I think so. Again, on a budget, but like it's it's very much in tone with what's going on there. Now, he does manage to get away, we think, with the plutonium. From there, we head to the south of France three years later, where we see that JCVD has settled into domestic life. He's got a very pregnant lady friend. Catherine is her name. And they get into an adorable squabble when he can't answer the phone in time. He blames it on her weird sculpture. She pushes him in the pool. They are very much in love, which can only mean one thing. Something terrible is going to happen to her. (laughs) Yeah, this is a very paint-by-numbers action uh, kind of movie. So you know they are setting up for her to be in trouble and him having to be the hero and rescue her at the end of the day. This is clear. He, they said he's retired, so how do you get somebody out of retirement? You put their family in jeopardy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, before that happens, though, we do get another trope here where his old boss shows up. Uh, he's there to pull him out of retirement for one more mission because Stavros is back. And speaking of paint-by-numbers, this is such a paint-by-numbers scene. They just hammer us with the action movie cliches here. For example, After all these years chasing him, you're the only guy who knows how he works, how he moves. Face it, Jack. You can't retire until he does. They're just playing the hits here. 
this conversation is like hard to bear. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme's never been known for his line delivery. Uh, It's really all about his action moves, right? It's the way that he moves that make him entertaining. But I found that the cast of characters around him, and maybe this leans into your theory. We've talked about it many times. Yeah, Yeah, you want to make a guy look better at acting. You put shitty actors next to him. I was struggling so bad at him trying to convince JCVD to come back and then Jean-Claude Van Damme trying to throw out things to not. And you're right, the tropes just keep piling on top of each other until you know that there is no other choice. Oh, of course. But he does walk away without an answer. Jean-Claude Van Damme has not agreed, as we see in the next scene. Uh, And as if that wasn't disappointing enough for this guy, things are about to get a whole lot worse. He gets into his car only to get a gun put to his head by Stavros himself, and that is Mickey Rourke. Now, instead of using that gun to shoot him, Stavros tells him he left him a little present, which turns out to be the rare kind of time bomb that counts up and not down. Did you see this? Seriously, (laughs) it went from like 56 to 57 to 58 to 59 to blank screen and then explosion, which Mickey Rourke literally walks away from in what has become such an overdone shot. There's the explosion behind him. He's walking towards the camera all slowly. Isn't Fuck that man. about 70% of the shots in this movie? It really is. There's so many of those in yeah. this. Oh, so yeah, so they take out the old boss, right? He had so much time to get out of there, though. But like he locks himself in the car. No, I. Th- so my interpretation was the car locked and he was unable to unlock it. Which is absurd. I mean, we know you can all pull that thing yeah. and unlock the door and get out. But he was unable to do so. He like flails pretty poorly at trying to do that. And then it explodes. The CIA at its finest. <laughs> Every movie we watch lately just shits on the CIA. It really does. Yeah, they're not getting good uh, not getting good reviews for sure. Now, from there, we transition to some kind of red light district and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme surrounded by revelers and sex workers of various types, including like an underwater stripper. Yeah, it is. so strange. It's kind of a strange, weird BDSM kind of place, right? We're getting a lot of the leather and that kind of stuff. This underwater performance is weird. It's clear that it's a woman. There's no nudity, though. She just has flesh-colored sort of... Like a bikini, no? Is it not like... Yeah, and kind of dancing erotically underwater to it while in scuba gear. It was strange. Very weird. This whole scene is weird. Um, But anyway, he's there looking for someone named Yaz, and wouldn't you know it, it's Dennis Rodman. They immediately get into a weird kind of measuring contest, complete with trailer-made insults like, Who does your hair? Sigfrid or Roy? Uh, It's mainly comments meant to allude to how wild Dennis Rodman is. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean the character he is playing. It's just (laughs) Dennis Rodman. He's just playing Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he absolutely is. Uh, It's very clear right away that he can't act. Despite being a performer. He's fucking awful. Yeah, his, his delivery of lines is atrocious. His timing is really bad. I mean, his whole life is kind of performance, right? Like, it's sort of attention-seeking, um, just is who he is, and that's what he thrives <laughs> yeah, on, right? It's sort of attention-seeking. Yeah, just a little bit of attention-seeking. Um, yeah. And this whole club is set up to be like, this is where Dennis Rodman would hang out. That's what they're trying to tell you, right? Yeah. Like, why he's important in the story here is he is sort of a gun runner. Yeah, he, he knows a lot about the secret agent game for sure. He's insanely well-equipped. He scans Jack Quinn's hand and immediately verifies his identity, which you'd think that would be harder considering he was like a high-ranking CIA agent, but whatever. Uh, yeah, he leads Van Damme to a room full of advanced weapons, including some stuff so new, even he doesn't know about it. Yeah, it did sound like that. He just wasn't sure what they were. Yeah, so he's showing off all of his guns, and he says that he used to work for the bad guys, but only works for good guys now. Well, the bad boys. That's a Detroit mm. Pistons reference. In addition to all those like clumsy uh, basketball metaphors we're going to get in this, there's a lot of like meta jokes about it just being Dennis Rodman. Yeah, too many puns. Just way too many basketball puns. It was pretty atrocious. And it's, Side note, <laughs> we're 10 minutes into this movie. Like They are storming. 
storming out yeah. of the gates here with unbelievably cheesy dialogue, and it's just coming fast and furious. They cannot keep this pace up. Well, they're going to. No, they don't. They don't, though. <laughs> I guess it does slow down in some weird places. I also noticed um, that very much this was an ad for Oakley, or product placement was a big part of the funding for this movie. Oh, his glasses. Yeah, he's got a lot of glasses. Yeah. He's got a lot of glasses, but I found it hilarious the ways that they created product placement throughout this. Like, yeah. it happens a lot, and I think that was a lot of how they paid for this. And the glasses are, if you've ever, if you are at all familiar with, like, 90s kind of rave culture, like, that sort of, there was a moment in time there where, like, crazy weird fucking sunglasses were the thing, and, like, Dennis Rodman is just modeling those, like, to a T. This, this will tell you exactly when this movie happened. Yes, exactly. Very much dates it. Yeah. Do you think he was uh, responsible for casting all the extras? You could seem to be like, Dennis Rodman, bring in some of your friends. Like, let's, we, we need some weirdos <laughs> in the background. I think maybe for that, like, punk outfit in the middle of the square in uh, Rome. Okay, you think that was his, uh, <laughs> he did the costuming for that? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, you never know. Um, more, like, some of the dialogue in here, he demonstrating some kind of machine gun, and Jean-Claude Van Damme says, offense gets the glory, and Robin replies, but defense wins the game. And like it's one of the many lines that makes zero sense because what exactly did anything he was just doing having to do with defense? He's showing him how to use like a massive machine gun. What's defensive about that? Like yeah. it, it, just referencing nothing. It's just a meta joke about Dennis Rodman. They just throw these in here regardless of like plot or context. And it kind of was driving me crazy. It was more than kind of driving me crazy, right? Like they lean into this part of the comedy so hard um, I would say it bothered me less here. I kind of didn't mind it at the intro to the character and who he was. But as it continued throughout the movie, it got worse for me. Like, it kind of compounded. Yeah. Well, they don't stop. I think at the beginning, I was part of my dread was, are they going to do this the whole time? And they do. Uh, in our next scene, <laughs> where they gear up and run through the plan, we get another inexplicable line. Uh, this time, Jean-Claude Van Damme, referring to Stavros, says, He's like a snake. If you look into his eyes, he'll get you in the back. Are there, like, snakes with razor-sharp tails that I don't know about? Like, what does this even mean? Yeah, the writing was a bit of a struggle in this movie. Uh, I'm wondering who, <laughs> Just a little bit. who was responsible for that, um, because it, it was flailing around at most times. Yeah, I agree. Now, our next scene takes place at some kind of carnival-slash-amusement park, which is where they were told Stavros would be. There's just one problem, though. Jean-Claude Van Damme freezes up when he sees Stavros with his son, which allows Stavros to spot them and shoot Jean-Claude Van Damme's sniper right through her scope. You know, like a snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they're choosing this location just because they thought it would be fun to have a shootout in a carnival. It was reasonable in some ways that Jean-Claude Van Damme didn't take him down when he saw his son. He's going to be a father himself, and he was worried about the child getting hurt. Although... If that sniper who didn't have lethal bullets, right? He had knockout they, bullets. They mentioned his tranquilizer yeah, darts. Yeah. If they had just taken that shot and tranked him, the son and everyone else would have been fine. But with Stavro getting the jump on them, uh, what ends up going down here? Oh, my God. We are just immediately plunged into chaos here as it seems like literally every person in this park has a gun and is on one of the two sides, although I can't tell which one. And this is a problem for me throughout this. Like, there's a bunch of shooting and screaming. It was basically all of the people who look like they were carnies or working at the carnival pull out guns and start shooting, as well as, like, all of the patrons of the carnival. It was very, very confusing. I don't know how Jean-Claude Van Damme does not die. He does, like, <laughs> he climbs yeah. across this sort of mesh stuff, kind of like... I picture uh, an old Mario game where you would have to climb across the wire to yeah, sort of yeah, complete yeah. a level. And there are about six people with Uzis shooting at him and none of them managed to hit him, which I know that has to happen for the movie, but I find those moments incredibly frustrating. At first, the kid's okay. 
I was interested to see whether like they were going to take the child out or not, but I guess one of the CIA agents going for Stavros just fucks up and kills that kid. Like, Well, they shoot his mom or the nanny or whoever in the back, and she's kind of shielding the kid and falls on top of him. Yeah. Then Mickey Rourke pulls her off, picks the kid up, he's fine, but then the kid gets shot, and so it's kind of like, uh. Yeah, I, I thought they weren't going to take the kid out, but I guess they needed to give extra motivation to Stavros for <laughs> the remainder of this movie. I don't yeah. know. Killing his nanny and interrupting their carnival time wasn't enough. You had to murder his child so that he would uh, really jump the shark, I guess. I guess so. Um, so yeah, we get, as you said, this kind of like, kind of vaguely parkour-ish amusement park chase between Van Damme and Stavros and then a hospital fight in a room full of babies. And you know what else that room's <laughs> full of? Broken glass! Because oh Jean-Claude Van Damme goes through like 17 windows here. Yeah, so... The hospital to me is just bonkers. The fact that they relocate from a carnival where his son gets murdered into a ward full of babies is like, I don't even understand this choice. I don't know why it was right next door. Or, like, was he so mad about his kid dying that he was going to, like, risk the lives of all the other babies? Like, that's what he immediately thought to do. So my first thought on this is, and we see this later on as well, like, Stavros, I think part of his move is he plays off of Kind of the same way that, like, in uh, The Dark Knight, like, Heath Ledger's Joker basically puts innocent people at risk knowing that, like, Batman's a good guy and will have to, like, work harder to not kill them. I think Stavros does that a little bit here, like, with the babies. We see it later on with Van Damme's own kid as well. Like, it's kind of his move to give him, like, an advantage, I think, and that's maybe what he was going for. Or maybe he just ran into the closest building and it happened to be a hospital. Like, I, you know. Yeah, I kind of took it to be the latter, right? Like, I don't think he was thinking about that. But he does go to the hospital and then choose to go to the maternity ward. That's right? true. Like he yeah. could have went anywhere in this hospital. The thing that was baffling to me too was there were zero employees. Like there was one employee at the dead desk. at the elevator also. Yeah. Yep. But when you go to the maternity ward, they don't just leave like dozens of babies alone yeah. in there. There was not Lights a single out, guys. nurse. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was not a single yeah. nurse, not a single doctor. There was nobody, not a parent, nothing. But it was just their convenience so that John Claude could jump through like 15 windows. Why he thinks that jumping through windows into a room that, like, his is opponent... Is full of infants? Yeah. Well, is, is a good idea. Or his opponent wasn't even in. Yeah. Like, he jumped through multiple windows before getting to the room where they would fight. Kind of giving your position away, too. With yeah. With the breaking glass sound. Yep. <laughs> Not so stealthy here, Jean-Claude. No. I don't know. This is where you're right. The glass budget must have been tremendous in this. Broken glass, man. It sounds exciting. It looks cool. I don't know. Well, there's even a moment where they do like a slowdown and Jean-Claude has to kind of like crawl through all the broken glass to get to work in this sort of big battle. Yeah, this uh, it, it really is just a goddamn glass fest. Now, Stavros escapes kind of preying on what I mentioned earlier by throwing a grenade, which JCVD has to basically jump in front of to save one of those babies. And the next time we see him, he's covered in bandages and waking up in some weird high-tech hospital. Only it's not a hospital. It's something called the Colony. Now, before we get into the Colony, all right, we haven't mentioned it yet, but he's looking a little older in this movie. Well, this is kind of the twilight of, like, this is when, this is probably one of his last, like, mainstream theatrical released movies. And you can see why this one did not build more momentum at this point. Like, he's been around for a while. The routine's kind of getting a little bit stale. He's, like I said, it's desperation, man. His body is in good shape, but he is looking a bit grizzled. Like, his face looks a little worn at this point, right? He's not looking the youthful sort of Jean-Claude that we're all sort of familiar and in love with, right? So it's sort of, it's interesting to see. <laughs> <laughs> I almost missed that for a second there. I'm just projecting. But yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I noticed in this movie is that some of the grenades that they throw make just these insane explosions. Like 
I think of a grenade, and I, I'm not an expert in any way. I've never thrown or exploded one, but I think it's going to blow up in a small area. The amount of fire and explosiveness that comes off the grenades that are thrown in this movie is just out of this world. It is. Now, my own, and I'm not trying to defend this, but we know that Mickey Rourke is like an explosives expert in this. Like, he puts a lot of explosives all over the place, but it comes up later on. And so I'm wondering how much of that is like, has he got other explosives around? It creates a larger explosion or like a chain reaction we see later. But no, it is ridiculous. It doesn't match with other movies that we've seen for sure. Yeah. Now, you're right. He he sacrifices himself to save this baby, and he wakes up in the colony. You're going to have to explain to us what this is. Well, the colony is a place where highly skilled assets are reassigned if they fail missions or go soft like Quinn did. Now, it's been a while since I saw the trailer for this movie, but nothing in there prepared me for this part of the story. What the hell is this? It was super confusing. He wakes up and a computer tells him to like make a decision, either to die to poison gas, like right now, it gives him like a 10 second countdown, or to agree to join this colony and stay and basically become part of a think tank that informs world governments about terrorist organizations and activity around the world. That's exactly what they are. We learn about that later. He recognizes many people there. He obviously chooses to join the colony instead of just dying, although it would have saved us about fucking an hour of movie. But um, <laughs> were you cheering for it at that point? You're like, take the gas, just let it gas. go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's just get drunk. Let's not watch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, he sees some familiar faces. Turns out it isn't all friends, though. In fact, he bumps into an old target of his. Well, bumped into is the wrong word. This guy swims up out of the pool and pulls himself up on the diving board, which is basically the exact opposite way diving boards are supposed to work. They get into a brief skirmish before the other guests break it up. And what I thought at this moment was that this guy was going to be like, uh, to this movie, what Bolo Jung was to Bloodsport. I'm like, this is going to be our big one. Big showdown with this guy. He's going to end up working for Stavros. Doesn't end up happening. Yeah, I think the kind of interaction between them gets underplayed. Uh, as they're at the colony, it takes a little while. JCVD sort of learns what his role is there, right? He sits down, he helps them sort of solve uh, some things that are happening around the world. They decipher that, like, the U.S. government did something cheeky and it was Oh, my wasn't, God, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, like, this, we, we get an explanation of what the colony is. And then, yeah, he sits down to help them with, like, the first case. This is what these guys do. And, of course, he immediately solves the first case they get. Yeah. Like, just right away. Like, what a surprise that he's amazing at this. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course they're going to make him the best right away. Um, they show him that there are lasers all around the island and that he cannot escape. And he, they also tell him that, like, if you try to escape, another agent becomes responsible for stopping you from doing it. Yeah, they're called your guardian. Yes. And I assumed at this point that the guardian was going to be this other guy, right? Like yeah. you suggested. I was like, okay, that's going to become his guardian. And somehow he's going to escape this ridiculous island. Well, I don't know how because they say that no one has ever successfully escaped. They make very clear to tell us that. But yeah, I've got a sneaking suspicion that that's going to stop being true by the end of this movie. Yeah, we know who Jean-Claude is and we know it's not over here. And we especially know that he's going to try to escape after. After they're in their briefing room and they see a mission where Stavros's men have uh, caused a lot of havoc, but he notices a little message just for him. Well, you kind of skipped ahead there. That happens a little bit later, but you're not wrong. And in case he needed some extra motivation, in our next scene, Catherine, after going for an introspective walk in the rain, gets an unexpected phone call from an art gallery in Rome that wants to put in an exhibition of her sculptures. They're sending her a plane ticket and everything. I'm sure she'll get there, no problem. Yeah, there's no ulterior motive for her to go to Rome right now, right? Yeah. Now, speaking of planes, we see a plane drop off supplies for the colony while also picking up some other cargo. Spoiler alert, this is all going to lead to John claude Van Damme escaping. What could the plane possibly be picking up? 
Hmm. Yeah, I I just thought it was garbage. I assume this place did not have garbage or recycle facilities, and they were getting rid of that. Okay, I mean, I guess it's the only kind of explanation that makes sense, but it just seemed like well, odd that it was... It was interesting that every time the plane came, the lasers turned off, and they left this one opening, right? They're very yeah. clear to demonstrate that to us That's and the key. to Jean-Claude Van Damme, because he knows that this is the one weakness in the system. Now... We know that every time the plane comes, they tell us that all of the people who live on the colony have to go and put their thumb down on a fingerprint reader and stay there for the length of time that the plane is coming. It's like a five-minute window, basically, yeah. Yeah, and that's what is sort of their guarantee. If they don't, I guess they they get killed by the watch that they're wearing. Something, yeah, there's an explosion or It's a big Omega ad, too, where they make sure you know that that's (laughs) the watch that they're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to my great surprise, Catherine actually makes it to the gallery in Rome, so I might have been wrong about that, but just in case you think this is all in the up and up, the woman she spoke to on the phone tells her that the gallery owner will be along soon and he can't wait to meet her. Gee, I wonder if the gallery owner will end up being Stavros. There's no chance. Like, no fucking way yeah. they could ever have that happen. This has got to be a legitimate Roman-like gallery. For sure. It's just an art show. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Her statue... or her plot of her just being an artist. Her fucking iron statues are that good that people in Rome want them to be there. Yeah. Now, this is the point in the movie where things must have picked up for you, because it's montage time. <laughs> we see Jean-Claude Van Damme with an escape plan in mind. He's practicing climbing, holding his breath underwater, and, of course, doing the splits, although this time it's a vertical stretch, you know, one leg on the ground, the other leg extending up. It's maybe not a full butterfly, but I'm counting it. I think that counts. It's really, really close. He's doing some really good work uh, in this doorway. The doorway is perfectly suited for his split length and for hanging from kind of some spots. <laughs> I wondered how much time went into oh making God. that set piece. I was like... The exact perfect height. Yeah, yeah. they measured the <laughs> shit out of that doorway and crafted it perfectly <laughs> to show off his skills. Despite his like aging appearance, he's still like fucking amazing, right? He's very lithe. Yeah, flexible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, very much so. And his legs are jacked and his body's still jacked. And... He's going to use what he's got. He's got this sort of doorway. He's got a tub that he can fill with water, both to hold his breath and to lift. Yeah, he starts muscular. like aggressively bicep curling this tub later on. It's incredible. Yeah, and then he also decides it's time to fill a bucket with rocks and use that as a way to strengthen his one leg. We do know that in the injury, it seems like he's had a cane for most of the yeah. time he's on the colony, that his one leg's injured. But I think what we're finding out here is he's... He's sort of playing it more than it actually is bothering him. He's working through it. He's going to be good anytime now. Yeah, he wants them to lower their guards so it'll be easier time of escaping. So this is where the colony's next assignment is analyzing an event. It has all the earmarks of a Stavros operation. So the question they're trying to figure out is who's paying him? Now, one member of the colony has a different theory that maybe Stavros is on his own mission of personal vengeance. And although some of the other guys there scoff at this, this is where Van Damme finds a message in some video footage that is unmistakably directed towards him. Stavros has his butterfly. Oh, Catherine's a butterfly tattoo. Probably should have mentioned that. I got really angry at this. They do zoom in on that butterfly tattoo earlier. So you know that the butterfly's hurt. It even says Q on it, right? It says Q, yeah, I've grand. got your butterfly. And you know it's him. The fact that none of the other like professional agents in this room see that message is baffling. And he lies to them all, right? They they not convincingly. Him. He's not a good actor. No, That's why no, I mean, why not they convincing him? at all. He just says, No, this is a copycat. And they're like, oh, great. He was right about the plane, so sure. Yeah, yeah. So they just believe it. Uh, but this is the motivation he needs to escape, right? 
He's been working on it anyway. You know he wasn't going to stay there. He wanted to see his kid. But now he knows that his kid and his partner are in trouble. Yeah, so we get a little bit more montage now. He's getting closer and closer to the escape window. His body is getting more and more fit. Like you mentioned, he can stretch further. He can hold his breath for longer. So there's only one thing left to do. Cut off his own fingerprint. Fuck. Yeah. This scene is gross. Uh, I I did not enjoy this. Blood does not bother me, but the like him cutting off a thin layer of his thumb was just seemed so gross. I don't know, so painful. Uh, he takes that and then he puts it into his own Rube Goldberg machine. Where- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He's got this thing. He's got this. going to pour water into a thing. It's going to tip something over. It's like an eraser that now has his fingerprint. The eraser is going to tap down on the screen. And yeah. Yeah, the eraser and his like chunk of thumb is now going to be what <laughs> means he doesn't explode after uh, those five minutes are up or whatever. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, if you've ever seen an action movie, this all works out and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme is able to become the first man ever to escape the colony by diving off a cliff just as the lasers shut off, then hitching a ride to the plane by hooking himself to one of the cargo boats. And then, after fighting off, I guess, was it that guy? Was it his enemy from the pool? Yeah. So who this was like scuba diving? What was he doing down there? So, I don't know. I was trying to figure out whether he was his guardian and he knew that he was going to try to escape. Like, I didn't know whether there was surveillance or if he's just always watching Jean-Claude Van Damme. What I also didn't understand is why he didn't blow up. He didn't cut his thumb off and create a Rube Goldberg machine, did he? Well, he gets lasered through the brain, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He dies, but not because he wasn't holding his thumb down like everyone else is supposed to. He dies because those lasers turn back on and he was still in the water. Yeah. Uh, he does almost get Jean-Claude Van Damme. He throws a plastic bag around his head. Would have been way harder than they make it look to open and put a plastic bag around someone's head In underwater. the water? Oh, my yeah. God. 100%. Like, yeah. it happens super quickly, and I'm like, well, that's bullshit. One, Jean-Claude's going to see that coming. And two, there's no way you open that bag and pull it around someone's head so easily. Yeah. But, of course, our hero, with a little bit more adversity than we thought, does hook on to that thing and flies up into the air. All he has to do at that point is just hold on to the cargo as it's pulled thousands of feet in the air behind the plane. No problem. Oh, I was laughing so hard here. This popped me because he's hanging on. And, of course, there's no way a human can like hang on to a cargo plane as they're getting pulled for kilometers. Eventually they start pulling it in and the people in the plane realize he's on it. Yeah, but he just like kicks them off one at a time. He, he's a nice guy. He checks to see if the guy has a parachute first. He's like, do you have a parachute? The guy's like, yeah. He's like, all right, he kicks him off the plane. He's a good guy. He's not going to try and kill yeah, anybody. He for wasn't no trying to kill those guys. They were just garbage collectors basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, so he does knock them all out of the plane and then he finds a gun and takes the pilots hostage, which means he's getting back to safety. He has successfully escaped the colony, like you said, the first one ever to do it. But he knows his guardian at least will be pursuing him, obviously. So if he's going to pull this thing off, he's going to need some help. And that means Rodman, round two. (laughs) I love that Rodman or Yaz is now his go-to man. Now he heads to him and he asks him for some equipment and some help, but Rodman's a little bit hesitant here, right? Well, he doesn't have any cash, so he promises to give him the uh, numbers of some CIA bank accounts that presumably Dennis Rodman will be stealing money from. Uh, part of the plan is not really clear, but uh, he, he agrees to do it. He's going to join him on this mission after giving him some weapons. The first part of this mission involves jumping out of a plane, but are they using parachutes? Oh, no, they're not. See, Dennis Rodman has invented something better than a parachute. Instead of opening up an umbrella-like pouch that will catch the air and slow your descent, this device basically turns you into a basketball. This is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I was screaming at the fucking television. I was losing my mind. Um, 
Like again, like you're saying, they're just leaning into meta Rodney's jokes. Reputation. Meta yeah, jokes. It's, it's all meta jokes here. Yeah, basically, this like fabric comes out and envelops them in a perfectly round sphere, and that sphere like kind of like just lands in the ground. Just kind of bounces down to the ground, and they're and they're fine. They work in another atrocious basketball related line here. As once the thing opens up, Dennis Robin says, "Now death will I call hang time." And I guarantee you, this was the exact moment when people who saw this in theaters were like, "I want my money back." I'm really. <laughs> That well, was for me. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> first of all, the two of them inside of that would have still had all of the momentum and would have been just, they, they would have been a soup. Yeah, but I had a question about that too. There's two of them there. Do they each have one of those things or do they have a half ball each? No, no, no. There was only one and I think it was on Jean-Claude. Oh, okay. I think Rodman was going to throw out like a real parachute on because he was like, uh, well, I'm not going to fucking okay. test out my own shit. <laughs> um, but he got tossed out of that plane by Jean-Claude before that could happen. So yeah. th that was why they actually had to like kind of embrace and then have the ball go okay. over both of them. That makes sense. So they've landed and uh, Van Damme heads off to the house where he believes Stavros is keeping Catherine. But instead of Catherine, he finds a baby bomb, like a doll of a baby with a bomb in it, which kicks off what is basically five straight minutes of Jean-Claude Van Damme action hero diving away from explosions. He seriously does the slow motion dive four different times in the scene. It's ridiculous. There were so many slow-mos. When he slow-mo dives into the pool on a floaty and is like shooting back and killing people as explosions are happening... I'm just, like, so outraged. And I love Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, I really, really do. Still? Yeah. After seeing this? <laughs> I can't defend this. It's ridiculous. I can't defend the amount of explosions and the fact that he survives all of them. Uh, he even has, like, a nanny come to, like, try to shoot him, but clearly not really a nanny. And why? Yeah, what was he... up with her? She looked, like, deranged. And he hesitates to kill her. Like, he's got this weird hesitation when it comes around children, but we know there was no real child here, and we know she's not really the nanny. Just fucking end her and get out of here and find your child. Well, and he eventually does. This house was a decoy, but as he stumbles down the street, he hears the unmistakable sound of Mickey Rourke's voice. It's an audio recording of him welcoming Van Damme back to the game and telling him to check into the Hotel Navona in Rome. He also plays the sound of Quinn's unborn baby's heartbeats to give things some urgency. I guess that also tells him that the baby's still alive. I haven't murdered Catherine yet. I mean, what Rourke really wants is to be able to kill him and probably do it by himself. Like, he wants it to be from his own hands. He wants that kind of vengeance. <sighs> but then why all the explosions in this house? Does he know he's going to survive? I think he kind of does. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't set up the tape, right? Yeah, this that's is, true. This is just building tension. This is just someone trying to uh, get someone as close to death as possible while still having that upper hand, right? Yeah, I guess. So Jack Quinn is off to Rome with Dennis Rodman since he still wants access to the CIA bank accounts. And despite the stakes having just gone way up, we get some physical comedy here as tall-ass Dennis Rodman steals a tiny Italian car. He's driving it with his head sticking out the sunroof. They're doing some more joking back and forth. It's a really weird time for this to happen in this movie. Yeah, and I know that in a lot of action movies, we do bring levity in, and Rodman's supposed to be that character who does it, but it's not playing well here. We have on that drive a ton of those basketball puns, like to an excessive amount again. And this is, I kind of said I was okay with it when they were introing the character. Here, I'm just absolutely done. They just don't stop. They keep going back to that well over and over again. Now, like I said, things kind of take a humorous turn there for a minute, but they go back to being serious in the next scene when an ultrasound image of Jean-Claude Van Damme's son gets delivered to the hotel. Well, they go back to being serious after even more basketball metaphors, but the point is Rodman is in. <laughs> so what's the plan? Uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to set up sort of a fake meeting here, right? We're going to try to get all of the bad people in Rome or in Europe together in one place because that's the best way to create confusion and chaos and then 
maybe get to Stavros. But also all of the good people. Like basically he sends an email and that email will surely be intercepted by every intelligence agency in the world. And does it ever. We get members of the CIA arriving on the scene and they're helpful enough to identify all the different organizations who are there. And you know who else is there? Jean-Claude Van Damme in a shitty disguise. Oh my God, I lost my shit. He's sort of in a group. I mentioned this earlier of like maybe punks. I thought it's more grungy than punky, but whatever. Yeah, maybe that's fair. I don't know. It's it's a weird kind of late 90s cultural look. It was not good. No. Now, everyone is basically waiting for Stavros to make his move. He's obviously going to have to get to a different location with all this heat. But he dangles Jean-Claude Van Damme's wife out there long enough for him to spot her and blow the whole element of surprise thing by running full speed into the middle of the square yelling, Catherine, no, despite Dennis Rodman trying to keep him back. Now, no offense to old Jack Quinn here, but when Dennis Rodman has become the voice of reason in your life, things have gone terribly wrong. (laughs) I didn't understand why he went running after it. He set this all up to get information. Why would he give himself away? I don't know. The passion overwhelmed him. Oh, just like this beer. The passion in this uh, Crimes of Passion Fruit IPA. (laughs) I'm almost done. How about you? Uh, I'm getting through it. Anyway, he runs right into Stavros, who wasn't in the car that Jean-Claude Van Damme's wife was in, and their tense conversation lasts just long enough for one of the CIA agents to spot them, and for all hell to break loose again. Much like the amusement park scene, everybody starts shooting everybody, and other than Stavros the sniper, I again cannot tell who is on each side. Absolutely not. It's just a fucking bloodbath. There's a guy riding a horse in like a ridiculous outfit with an Uzi that takes out so many people, many of them just innocents, right? And then he gets taken down and everybody is murdering everyone. Like nobody has any side here. It's just government agencies from all around the world. Every country just fighting each other. It's so weird. Yeah. And so Stavros and Jean-Claude are trying to sort of have their moment. And then we get Rodman having his more basketball pun moment. Well, uh, he spots that sniper that I mentioned and tries to chase him down. But a different one of Stavros' goons gets the jump on him in like a taxi. This leads to some close quarters fighting and, of course, more basketball metaphors. And this fight hilariously ends with Dennis Rodman reaching across the cab, grabbing this guy's arm, and somehow lifting his entire body up and over the taxi and basically javelining him through the window of a passing van. This is absolutely ridiculous, and I'm pretty sure physically impossible. (laughs) What kind of quality wire work went into that is my question. The way he picks him up is insane. Yeah, (laughs) And I I bet that Rodman's a strong man, but there's no way he's picking up this guy and hauling him by one arm all the way over another vehicle. And like not even the way you'd think of doing it where you like pull the guy's arm kind of over your shoulder and like flip him. He picks the dude straight up by one (laughs) arm. As though he was like a cardboard cutout <laughs> and hurls him through this window. The it's guy would insane. the guy would have to be flexing so hard for his arm to stay that rigid and for that to be able to be possible. I think he throws down a five pointer reference too, and it happens. Yeah, he says he's gonna call that a five pointer. So we get it, Dennis. You're a basketball player. Uh, what's also ridiculous is that Jean-Claude Van Damme tracks down the sniper and he has some kind of like a briefcase machine gun. Now this sounds impressive, but he gets taken out quickly. But the next guy. He's some kind of like matrix ninja who basically defies the laws of physics to jump up out of a chair while simultaneously flipping the chair up in the air and then kicking it across the room at Van Damme all without hitting the ground. And he also has like a toe knife. This guy is out of control. Yeah, this was kind of a fun fight. If we're going to talk about how garbage, like, most of the effects in, like, interactions this, I actually enjoyed this fight quite a lot. You could tell that this guy was really skilled, and 
he has that toe knife on and Jean-Claude sort of doing all the right things to dodge it until the sort of martial artist gets it stuck in a door frame. So Jean-Claude gets the upper hand here, but then this guy pulls out like a giant garrot wire. Yeah, it's like a three-part garrot wire. It's like three of them in a row on like handles and he's like wrapping it around a wooden beam and it slices through like a solid wooden beam, but Van Damme escapes because he's just fucking, is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie basically. And this all happens, by the way, after a shitload more glass breaking. There's so much more glass breaking in this scene. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The yeah. sugar glass is everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, he manages to take out both of these guys, and then he finds a prescription label with his extremely pregnant wife's name on it. Now, your average person would probably be wondering if that's going to be enough of a clue to lead him to where Stavros is hiding her. But what your average person doesn't know is that somewhere in Rome, in an ancient church basement, is Dennis Rodman's crack team of cyber monks... This movie is insane. (laughs) Yeah, the locations for this film are, like, interesting. When out of nowhere, like, I didn't understand why Jean-Claude Van Damme was going to the monastery. Like, he literally shows up at a monastery, and they welcome him in, and I was like, why did you show up here? I assumed that's where Stavros was. I thought he found, like, an address at first, and that was what it was. It was not. No, this is where Dennis Rodman is like, it's my team. It's my brothers. Yeah, I guess Dennis Rodman had told him to come find him at this monastery, and so they're taking him through this monastery all of... It's like what you picture in a movie where there's, like, bones on the wall. And Indiana Jones there. in the Last Crusade, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? And the monks are tuned into the internet. It's they're all basically hackers. Yeah, Yeah. it's ridiculous. You're right. This was the most implausible of all of the things that we've seen so far, and it's been batshit. Which is crazy to say out loud, but yeah. So, of course, these monks find her in about 10 seconds after some more cringy comedy. She's in an old hospital, and an incredible stroke of luck, these monks just happen to have an underground tunnel that will take him right to it without any of Stavros' armed guards being able to see him. What a lucky break that was. It was interesting because when they were there, they identify the possible doctors that could have given that, and it's about 30, and they're like, it's going to take some time to figure out who it was. And then all of a sudden on the screen, it's given to them. They find it out, and what I sort of took from that is that that was the colony. What did we find out earlier when Jean-Claude escapes? We know that somebody is out there following Yeah, it's that right? main guy, that goldsmith guy or whatever his name is. Yeah, the Guardian. So I think that they were just trying to make it easier to track him down. They wanted him to have that meeting with work so that they could finally take him out too. So I'll be honest here. At this point, it's been so long since the colony was mentioned that I had literally forgotten about it. You're like, oh, that I was forgot that was in yeah. yeah, I literally just thought they just found it luckily because why wouldn't they? Everything else in the movie is implausible. So there we go. <laughs> now, don't think, though, that there won't be any obstacles here as Dennis Robin and Jean-Claude Van Damme have to set up an explosive to get through like a great... But what's really being set up is more terrible basketball one-liners and Rodman meta humor. Who on earth thought this movie was a good idea? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's clearly a cash grab. Right, like all—that's the only reason you make this movie. Um, Jean Claude, I wonder what he would say looking back on it. Like, what would his memories of making this be, and/or would he regret it severely? Probably not. I mean, again, his career was slowing down. It was a paycheck. He take the paycheck. I mean, he yeah. certainly showed a willingness to take paychecks over the years. So that's true. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So they're in the hospital now, and after getting confused and fighting each other for a minute or so, they start picking off Stavros's goons. Meanwhile, his wife successfully delivers the baby, or I guess the doctor delivers it, and now that it's out, Stavros tells one of his goons to kill them both. The doctor and Catherine manage to fight this guy off, though, and we quickly get a tearful reunion between husband and wife. 
And I always love the scenes where Jean-Claude Van Damme is legitimately trying to act. <laughs> this is one of them. <laughs> this is one of them. Yeah. Uh, the acting part doesn't go so well. Uh, we also know that he now needs to save his son, right? Yeah, now this is where we, the, him realizing that Stavros has his son, that's the big emotional moment. He kicks a gurney off to the side and is like shouting. This is hilarious. <laughs> it's not supposed to be hilarious, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it's really, really good. So now it's time for the final confrontation as Jack Quinn makes his way to a Roman amphitheater where he comes face to face with the inexplicably shirtless Stavros. His baby son is in a basket on the ground, but getting him back won't be easy. Not only is the basket surrounded by landmines marked with crosses, but Stavros lets loose a tiger that immediately heads toward the baby. And I'm like, this tired old setup? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I said a few minutes ago, this movie is insane. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you are desperate for revenge, I guess like a Roman amphitheater and landmines and tigers is the way to go get it. I thought it was more going to be, I'm going to kill you, but he set up such a like possible set of disasters, I don't know what's going to happen. He's like a jacked up shitty Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, basically what this is. Yeah, yeah, it is very Bond-esque in the way that this is happening, you're right. Now, two things happen here, and I'm not sure which one is more unbelievable. First, Jean-Claude Van Damme karate kicks a fucking tiger. And second, Dennis Rodman <laughs> somehow rides a dirt bike through all of the mines and grabs the baby without any of them exploding. Um, I do think that the mine dirt bike is more ridiculous. The tiger okay. thing is also just baffling, right? Is that just because you trust Van Damme more than Rodman? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I believe it. So anyway, Van Damme escapes the tiger by collapsing a wooden platform it's standing on. And Rodman informs him the baby's safe and they should just get out of there before the whole place explodes. Van Damme's response. You take care of my son. I'll take care of Stavros. And they do an incredibly gratuitous fist bump right in the middle of the shot. Good Lord. Yeah, I think that's the second time in the movie we see one of those fist bumps from them. And it's cringeworthy both times. It, it is a weird moment here, right? He is going to go take care of Stavros and Robin's going to take care of his son. And I think even his woman, he says. I'm not sure that I would want to send Dennis Rodman to take care of either my wife or child. But, uh, <laughs> oh, he'll take care of your wife. Well, yeah, that's also the fear, right? I guess <laughs> I guess Jean-Claude's not worried about that because he knows he'll get back at him later. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Dennis Rodman, like I said, he tries to help, but he steps on one of those landmines, so basically can't move or it'll explode. But he manages to somehow rig something up so that he can roll away. This is a like pretty extreme scene full of deep, intense close-ups. Yeah, so Rourke, uh, Stavros thinks he has the upper hand here, right? He knows where all these mines are, and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Rodman keep sort of stepping on them as they're trying to sort of maneuver their way around this pit. Uh, But little does he know, what has Dennis Rodman done? Well, yeah, his ingenuity is how they end up winning this fight. As after escaping that one mine he was stuck on, he moved some of the crosses, thus making it nearly impossible to know where the mines are. This works out about as well as it possibly could have, as Jean-Claude Van Damme seemingly steps on a mine, but doesn't really, while Stavros puts his foot down in a seemingly safe area, only to find a mine. But all I could think of this whole time was that this could have easily gone horribly wrong. You know, this movie was even a tiny bit realistic. <laughs> yeah. Even if Stavros removes his foot from a mine, they're all fucked. Well, and like Robin doesn't tell Van Damme he's moving the crosses, he just moves the crosses. So Van Damme would assume they're still where the crosses are too. It's a very risky move. Also a risky move was uh, in the one fight Rodman has, he throws down an I'll be back. Oh, yeah. I, I noticed that. I didn't care for it. No, I was really, really bothered by it. A little bit of infringement there, I feel, on uh, Schwarzenegger. That's not okay, right? 
I mean, you many people have used the phrase "I'll be back," but the way he says it, it kind of comes off Terminator esque, and I don't know. Like, do you think part of him agreeing to be in the movie was him being like, "I need to drop an I'll be back"? Could have been an ad lib. Oh, and they, and they were just, like, you know what? This is one of the more coherent things he said. We should leave it in the movie. See, for me, I think this is like, if I'm going to be in this movie, you're putting that line in for me. Could be. Like, you're He's an action fan. I've always fan. wanted to say yeah, it. This yeah. is what okay. I want to do. And that's what I took it as. And I was not good with it. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. Going back to this extremely realistic fight, at that exact moment, the tiger returns. So that's the end of Stavros. And it's nearly the end of everybody else, too. As the mine he was standing on sets off a giant chain reaction of explosions that basically destroys the whole building. Now, this would have killed Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dennis Robin, and the baby, but luckily there was a Coke machine there that they stand behind, and it totally shields them from all of the fire and rubble. I <laughs> was losing my mind. Yeah. Both for the product ridiculous. placement and for the fact that this Coke machine, one, I mean, there's quite a few mines in there. I've already complained about the size of explosions earlier, and this one is too big. But he had many mines in there. He rigged the whole building, right? Robin says the whole thing's going to blow. That at least makes sense. What doesn't make sense is... A like seven foot by five foot Coke machine completely shielding them from fire flowing in every direction and like collapsing buildings. And it was even that part passing them, right? Oh my like God, in the yeah, film, it's going, it's going all around them. And the fact that that Coke machine saves them. I was trying to debate personally whether that was more egregious than the fridge in uh, the Crystal Skull. No, nothing is more egregious <laughs> than the fridge in the Crystal Skull. That is the most ludicrous thing that has ever happened in a movie ever. Yeah, they both, they should have all been dead many, many times. But, you know, I agree. the magic of movie making. Well, Stavros is dead. So at this point, I'm like, okay, movie over. But this is where I was like, oh, yeah, that colony thing. Uh, I had legitimately forgotten it was a thing. But that Goldsmith guy steps out of the shadows and pulls a gun on Jean-Claude Van Damme because as his guardian, it's his job to bring him back to the island. So we get one last bit of tension here, which Dennis Rodman uh, defuses by activating a smoke grenade and a coin, which allows Van Damme to drive off with his baby. And then, like, Rodman and Goldsmith laugh about it and go their separate ways. What a weird fucking ending this is. <laughs> it was weird, right? Like, he's kind of like, oh, you've got one over on me, old fella. And then they laugh. They <laughs> laugh, and then it's over. Toodaloo. He's just going back to the colony, and then uh, Jean-Claude's going to retire in, like, safety. I guess maybe the guy knows that Jean-Claude's a ghost now, but... Based on all the technology they had and their ability to see, like, they could easily find him again. Yeah, well, then they should be, too. If your whole reputation in the colony is no one's ever escaped and he's out there, he's escaped. It besmirches your whole reputation. I should actually mention, the movie really ends with one more Dennis Rodman meta joke as he looks back at the flaming ruins of the amphitheater and says, Well, you can bet your ass they'll blame you for this one. <laughs> I wonder what the fine would be. Because he always got fined. And then we get the credits to what sounds like a song where Dennis Rodman is singing. It's not sounds like. It's it him? is a literal rap by Dennis I don't, Rodman. I don't, it was more like a dance track. I don't recall him putting out a dance album in the 90s. It was so fucking weird. Was that Dennis Rodman? I think he made it for the movie, man. Like, that's how much this was a Dennis Rodman production. I mean, either way, it's pretty safe to say the wheels are off at this point for Jean-Claude Vianney's movie career. Oh, God, yes. When yeah. you're playing second fiddle to Dennis Rodman in a film where you can't act and, like, almost all the jokes are meta basketball jokes, you're like, I, I need to retire right now. <laughs> all right, man, that's it. Like, uh, I said it before, who thought this was a good idea? This is just a desperate cash grab, and man, does it not pay off. The accountants thought it was a good idea. That's exactly who, and they were probably very happy about this. I wonder if it made money. It probably it bombed. Did. It oh, did it? Bombed, it absolutely but bombed. But how it. much money went into it? That's the question, yeah. right? I don't know. 
All right, well, this is probably a good time to get into our ratings for this movie since uh, we've basically said everything we need to say about the story. So the way we always do this, we rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, I have to say, it's in play because I believe this movie is 10 out of 10 bad. In addition to being completely batshit insane and making no sense, <laughs> Rodman is fucking terrible. Like, <laughs> oh God, some of his lines are borderline unintelligible, which is bad, but especially bad when you realize that those were the best takes they got. <laughs> this wasn't, uh, like, one take only? No, those were the best ones, and some of them are, like, gibberish. I also hate that his involvement caused all of those basketball metaphors and meta jokes so cringy. I feel like the scriptwriter did a shit fucking job. The actors did a shitty job. The director did a shitty job. Considering that some of the biggest action pieces, I couldn't tell who was on which side. Who were just shooting for no reason. Like, it's hard to get invested when you don't know who's who and what's going on. And that was my biggest obstacle with this. It's 10 out of 10 bad. This movie is a mess. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, you're right. I cannot dispute a 10 out of 10 bad. In fact, I wrote it down too. It's 10 out of 10 bad. And that's hard for me to say for Jean-Claude because I am so fond of his movies. But I thought that the acting, number one, was just absolutely atrocious. Dennis Rodman brought nothing to that. Despite being like a complete spectacle of a human, he cannot produce a line with any timing. I blame that a lot on probably the writing as well. I think both of those things sucked ass. I found the explosions to be like just over the top, the yeah. amount of glass breaking, the weird uh, like colony place that he went to, yeah, the, the internet monks, like everything <laughs> in here is yeah. just so so bad. Like you said, you never know who's on what side. None of the sort of action pieces were really entertaining. The only fight that I really kind of enjoyed was that weird one in the hotel room. Half these guys didn't even get names. No. No, yeah, like we didn't even yeah. care who they were. Like they weren't like well-built up bad guys. It almost feels like a really poorly done Bond film. You know what they didn't have in there though? No banging. Well, yeah, there wasn't enough He wasn't laying sure. pipe like uh, 007 does. We didn't even see him get his wife pregnant. You could have given us that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, so uh, okay. we got to get to our enjoyability. Yeah. So, so, uh, so how enjoyable though? I really struggled with this. I hate when we're both down on a movie because it means that we're both kind of shitting on it the whole time. But there was nothing else I could do here. I really struggled to get through both for, because of the puns, because of the weird explosions and the way that they were edited, because the action scenes were slow mode and all those sort of face gasm shots that just didn't work for me. <laughs> I had this as, and this is probably higher than it deserves, but it's just because Jean-Claude Van Damme's in it. I had it as a six enjoyable. Oh my God, man. This is ridiculous. I also had it as a six enjoyable. <laughs> we're exactly lined up on this. Uh, I think for me, the biggest problem with it I had, just too many cliches. Just over and over again with the cliches. The, yeah. the meta jokes were just killing me. That whole thing with the colony... I feel like that whole thing could have been cut because it feels like a totally different thing. Yeah. Like it's kind of a separate thing. And they forget about it for like 45 of the last 50 minutes of the movie. I legitimately forgot about it. But like, whatever, we know what's happening here. You got to hit that 90 minute mark and this thing is 93 minutes. So you take out the colony, you're at like 72. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, there were some weird, almost like science fiction kind of 
ideas in it that yeah. didn't fit with the rest of what was happening. The, the hacker movie. stuff. Like I, yeah. I, I kind of like was doing other stuff and I kind of looked away. I looked back and all of a sudden Van Damme is sitting in like a high tech chair with a hand scanner watching like multiple video screens. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like I was so, so confused about how we got to that point. I had to rewind to watch more. To, but like, I think we can pin that on the date of release. The time. Like yeah. I literally think that was something that people the internet were was so becoming obsessed more, yeah. with in the late 90s that that is almost something that they felt had to be included even though it would have been a better action movie if none of that had been connected. Well, and again, the trailer mentions none of that. Like the trailer for this movie is just, it seems like a straight up buddy action movie and instead we get this weird subplot. Yeah, I I have it as a six. Like there's some enjoyable stuff. Like some of the stuff that's cringy I did enjoy. You love Van Damme. He's the easy guy to love in these movies. But like I said, these are dark times for him. Like sure, we got a training montage and we kind of got a splits, but there was no joy in any of it. It didn't feel like it hit the marks you hope for in a Van Damme movie, right? Like usually you're waiting for and hoping to check off the boxes of the splits and certain kicks and certain avoidance of like gunfire and that kind of stuff. I was not unhappy when it ended, right? I was ready for it, even though the ending was so choppy and kind of gross too. I was kind of like, well, at least it's over and we can move on from this. How about the beer? Straight up IPA. I didn't get a lot of the passion fruit. I was kind of hoping the fruity nature would help me out, but I guess a lot of IPAs have like fruit elements in them. Just kind of, it's kind of just the flavor. This is one of those beers where I drank it okay. It didn't like ruin my day or anything. I could tell drinking it. Like you're probably you probably enjoyed it. IPA lovers will enjoy this beer, and I'm just not an IPA lover, so not my style. But I could see how other people would like it. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. But did you enjoy it or what? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um. A lot of hops have different fruit flavors, right? So when you make a beer and then you ferment it, they can add a lot of fruit flavor. I feel like the fruit in this, though, might have been added afterwards. Like there's a bit of it before. Because I feel like it hit you with the passion fruit taste early, but it all finished with the bitterness of hops. And that's where I think as a non-bitterness person, I think you're dislike of ipas is mostly because they finish with that strong bitterness yeah so i think that you haven't reached there despite my hope that you'll make there one day you're not there yet um i liked it i would try the other hops and robbers versions um and they have some other kind of cool stuff on there they have a neat like maple porter i think well they have a pecan pie porter that i've had many times it's very tasty yeah so i would like to try that one and i'd like to try some of the other hops and robbers uh versions because there's different flavors i think there's a pineapple one uh, yep i've seen grapefruit i think um yeah yeah so that would be good yeah All right, well, what do we got coming next time? Well, before we get to the next movie, I mean, you know, we should thank Judy for the uh, recommendation here. Yeah, so so sorry we didn't love your movie, Judy, um, but we we love you and we appreciate your request. Absolutely, and hopefully uh, you got what you came for for that one. Next week, you know what we haven't done yet this season? No. A horror movie. I mean, unless you count Birdemic, but I don't know. (laughs) The most horrifying part about uh, that was the fact that it got made. Yeah, that's a horrible movie. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, next week, we're going to snap that trend when we watch Nightmare Beach. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, man. It's an 80s horror movie that was essentially made in the style of some of the Italian giallo style horror films. It even has an Italian director. Well, allegedly. No one's really sure who directed it because nobody wants to take credit for this fucking turd. But uh, it's supposed to be made in that style. It's just, a, you know, an 80s beach going good time. So lots of ass and uh, partying? Uh, I can't speak to how much ass there is. There's some boobs for sure. We'll see some boobs and some partying. And, of course, no 80s pervs. No pervs allowed. Not in the 80s. 
<laughs> I love that you finger wag no 80s person. I did, did finger wag. That's yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah. And so that's going to be happening. Uh, it's uh, kind of like a slasher, you know? I'm excited. I, I've been asking for more horror and I want to keep it going here. Well, we're going to get some. Uh, Nightmare Beach. We sure do hope that you'll join us for that. Until then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, feel free to send any suggestions, uh, comments, criticism. If you love this movie, if you think this is the best of Jean-Claude Van Damme, you tell us, right? You let us know. You're a big Dennis Rodman fan. Yeah, if you're a huge Dennis Rodman fan, yeah, please, please get honest. But uh, also feel free to send us any feedback, suggestions to our email at thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. We love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it falling. (laughs) God damn it. There's so many of those fucking jokes. Fucking hate. They don't play by the rules. 